On April 24, 1964, one of the best documented and heavily investigated UFO sightings of all time occurred in Socorro, New Mexico. It would also prove to be one of the most debated, with skeptics claiming the entire incident was a hoax. This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 2, Episode 15, The Lonnie Zamora UFO Incident. Police officer Lonnie Zamora, alone in his patrol car, was driving behind a speeding car when he heard a roar and saw a long, narrow, funnel-shaped, bluish-orange flame in the sky. The weather that day was peaceful, with few, if any, clouds in the sky. The incident caught the police officer off guard. He wondered if it was some sort of lightning or atmospheric phenomenon, but then thought even more rationally thinking it was a local dynamite shack that may have exploded. But then came the mysterious sound. Officer Zamora also heard a strange sound that went from a very high frequency to low frequency for about 10 seconds, and then stopped altogether. Officer Zamora abandoned the speeding car and decided to investigate the mysterious flame in the sky and the weird sound. He estimated that it was about a half mile away and proceeded in its direction over a steep hill. Once he got closer to where he believed the light in the sky originated from, he noted what he believed to be an overturned white vehicle. Zamora drove closer towards the scene, radioing his dispatcher to say he would be out of his car, checking the car in the Arroyo. He stopped his car, got out, and attended to the radio microphone, which he had dropped, then he started to approach the object. It was, according to the officer, a shiny object with two people standing close to it, one of whom seemed to notice him with surprise and gave a start. The shiny object was, quote, like aluminum. It was whitish against the Mesa background, but not chrome, and shaped like the letter O. Zamora only caught a brief sight of the two people in the white coveralls beside the object. He recalls nothing special about them other than they looked like small adults or large children. Quote, I don't recall noting any particular shape or possible hats or headgear. These persons appeared normal in shape, but possibly they were small adults or large kids. End quote. He got closer to offer assistance, but was immediately startled. He heard the roar and saw the flame again. But this time the flame was under the object, and the object slowly rose back into the sky. He radioed into the police station a more complete description of the object while he still had it in his sights. Oval in shape, smooth, no windows or doors, noted red lettering of some type, aluminum, white. He also described four structures that resembled slanted legs that he took no notice of while the object was on the ground. Keeping the object in view, he ran behind his car, bumping his leg on the rear fender and dropping his glasses, and continued running northwards away from the object, which was still near the ground. Zamora notes that the object rose about level with his car for about six seconds, and it started to rise. He then ducked down behind a hill and watched the object rise very fast, and take off immediately across the country. He then ran back to his patrol car and radioed the sheriff's office 
and was in contact with Nep Lopez, the radio operator, and he told him to look out his window to see if he could see an object in the sky that kind of resembled a balloon. As he was talking to Nep, he could still see the object in the distance which cleared the Box Canyon and Six Mile Canyon Mountain. He noted there was no more noise nor flame. He then gave directions to his location to Nep, who relayed them to Sergeant M.S. Chavez, who raced to the scene to help Officer Zamora. Upon inspection, they found several of the bushes still ablaze. They noted several tracks where the legs of the objects were resting on the ground. As the sergeant inspected the area further, Zamora grabbed a pen and paper and drew the insignia that he saw on the side of the object. Within hours, word of Zamora's encounter had reached the news. Many people had heard the radio traffic, including a few reporters. Within days, reporters from the Associated Press and the United Press International were in Socorro to get first scoop on the newest UFO sighting. Likewise, a civilian UFO study group, APRO, were on the scene to document the encounter. The U.S. Air Force also sent investigators to the scene, as did the FBI. They all wanted to speak to the star witness. However, several independent witnesses reported either an egg-shaped craft or a bluish flame at roughly the same time and in the same area, some of them within minutes of Zamora's encounter, before word of it had spread. Two tourists named Paul Kais and Larry Kratzer, who were approaching Socorro in their car from the southwest, less than a mile from the landing site, said they witnessed the takeoff and reported seeing the blue flames and the brownish dust being kicked up. A family of five tourists from Colorado heading north also saw the oval object as it approached Socorro at a very low altitude going east to west just south of town. It passed directly over their car only a few feet above it. After the encounter, the tourists stopped for gas. Their identity was never discovered, but the story was learned from the service station operator, Opal Grinder, who reported the incident at the time and then later signed an affidavit in 1967. According to Grinder, the husband told them, quote, Your aircraft sure fly low around here, and that the object almost took the roof of their car off. The man thought it was in trouble since it came down west of the highway instead of the nearby airport to the south. He saw the police car heading up the hill towards it, so he thought it was just going to render assistance. Another witness called an Albuquerque television station around 5.30 p.m. to report an oval object at low altitude traveling slowly south towards Socorro. This report was also brought up by KSRC Socorro radio newsman Walter Schrude when he interviewed Zamora on the radio the next day. Zamora said he hadn't heard of the report at the time. Shrude thought this was likely the same object that Zamora encountered only 20 minutes later and helped collaborate his report. Several other stories appeared in New Mexico in their newspapers in succeeding days of other sightings of these oval-shaped objects, including another landing case with burned soil near La Madera in northern New Mexico. Also, similar to the Socorro incident, 
The FBI report on the Lamadero case further noted the witness reported a blue-white flame associated with the object, four rectangular V-shaped landing marks, and several circular marks about four inches in diameter at the location. There were also a large number of witnesses from the south side of town to the object's loud roar during the landing and the takeoff. Three of these witnesses caught glimpse of the shiny object, calling the police dispatcher immediately following the incident before it was even publicized. Sergeant Chavez, the first policeman to provide backup for Zamora, had privately confided to fellow police officers that he too had seen the object rapidly departing to the west over the mountains as he approached the site to assist Zamora. Publicly, fearing ridicule, he stated he did not see the object. It wasn't until 2009 that he finally admitted that he too saw something in the sky. Police officers Ted Jordan and James Lucky were on scene almost immediately and noted that they saw that clumps of grass and burned greasewood bushes were still hot when they arrived. As the police were trying to figure out what had just happened, a man approached and identified himself as an FBI investigator. In his notes, he reported, quote, four irregularly shaped smoldering areas, cause unknown. FBI agent Arthur Burness Jr. also observed that the rectangular marks located near the burn site, quote, seemed to have been made by an object going into the earth at an angle from a center line, pushing some earth to the far side. Also observed were, quote, three circular marks in the earth, which were small, approximately four inches in diameter, and penetrating into the sandy earth approximately one-eighth of an inch, end quote. Speculation was that this may have been the footprints of the people Zamora saw near the object. The evening of the encounter, Army Captain Richard T. Holder, then the senior officer at White Sands, as the higher-ranking officer had just gone home for the weekend, and FBI agent Arthur Bernas Jr., together interviewed Zamora. However, for reasons that remain unclear, the FBI asked that their presence at the scene be kept quiet. Zamora speculated that the object was some kind of newly developed craft being tested at White Sands Missile Range or at nearby Holloman Air Force Base. Holder quickly shot down this idea and was later quoted in the Socorro newspaper saying, that there was, in military custody, no object that would compare to the object described. There was no known firing mission in progress at the time of the occurrence that would produce the conditions reported. After interviewing Zamora, Holder and several military police officers went to the scene. Using flashlights, they cordoned off the site, took measurements, and took samples of the sand and the scorched bushes. The next morning, Holder took a telephone call from a colonel at the Joint Chiefs of Staff. As a young captain, Holder was surprised and nervous to be speaking to such an important, high-ranking officer. At the colonel's command, Holder gave a report of his investigation over a secured, scrambled line. Even years later, 
Holder would wonder about such important U.S. military officials talking to him about this case. He said, why in the world were they so interested? Astronomer J. Allen Hynek, Project Blue Book and U.S. Air Force consultant, arrived in Socorro on April 28th. He met with Zamora and Chavez and interviewed them about the encounter. Hynek and Air Force Major Hector Quintanilla initially thought the sighting might be explained as a test of a lunar excursion module, though after some investigation, Hynek determined that this could be definitely ruled out as an explanation for what Zamora saw. Hynek wrote that Zamora and Chavez were very anti-Air Force. After all, the Air Force and the FBI were suggesting that the affair was a hoax, but Zamora was, as Hynek put it, pretty sore at being regarded as a romancer. And it took over a half hour before Hynek thawed him out and heard the account. Hynek also wrote that, quote, the Air Force is in a spot over Socorro. They were also suggesting that the encounter could be attributed to Zamora having seen an unidentified military craft, though no craft could be matched to Zamora's report. Hynek agreed with many others that this explanation won't go down as plausible. He further wrote, quote, I think this case may be the Rosetta Stone. There's never been a strong case with so unimpeachable a witness. Also noting his growing frustration with Project Blue Book, Hynek wrote, quote, The Air Force doesn't know what science is. Hynek realized soon after that the Air Force just wanted him to debunk every and all UFO incidents he was investigating. Hynek was not a puppet and decided later to investigate UFOs independent of the Air Force. Over the years, the craft witnessed by Zamora has most of the time been depicted with a red insignia based on a design released to the media in 1964. However, recent findings indicate that in fact Captain Holder obtained an agreement with Zamora not to divulge the real design of the insignia he saw in red on the observed craft. Therefore, a modified one was submitted instead. The main reason behind this request was that if another witness came forward, it would be a way of validating whether he was telling the truth or not. There is no written document today that shows the actual markings that Zamora saw that day. Only verbal descriptions remain. The design was an inverted V with three bars crossing it. Ray Stamford, an investigator and author, discovered a copy of an important letter in the archives of J. Allen Hynek, sent to the Major Hector Quintanilla at the United States Air Force's Foreign Technology Division at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, with Hynek's own drawing of the insignia Lonnie Zamora reported. That image and many others will be made available on our Facebook page. In 1968, physicist and UFO researcher James E. McDonald located Mary G. Mays, who asserted that when she was at the University of New Mexico as a doctoral student in radiation biology, she had been asked to, quote, analyze plant material from the Socorro site. Afterwards, she was to turn in all records and samples 
and heard no more about it. When interviewed by McDonald, Mays reported that she and two others had worked on a study to figure out the physical evidence from the Socorro site, but she could not remember the names of the other people that she was working with. According to Mays, she had examined the site the day after the event and had gathered plant samples for analysis. Mays later determined that the plants which had allegedly burned at the UFO flames were unusually completely dried out. Mays also found no evidence of radiation, but found, quote, two organic substances, end quote, she was unable to identify. Mays also reported to McDonald an area of apparently fused sand, where the sand had taken on a glassy appearance near where the object had allegedly landed and then departed. The area of the glassy sand was roughly triangular, measuring about 25 to 30 inches at its width, though it gradually tapered down to about one inch wide. It seemed about a quarter of an inch thick, she says. Mays thought the glassy areas looked as if a hot jet had hit it. After the initial interest in the case and the media now needing a different angle, they sought out the idea that the whole affair was some sort of hoax. Harvard astronomer David Menzel first suggested that Zamora had been the victim of a complex prank engineered by high school students who, quote, planned the whole business to get Zamora. Hynek suggested this to some of the Socorro citizens who completely discounted the idea. No high school student had or has since that time ever come forward to reveal an elaborate prank. Years later, Menzel then argued that Zamora had just misidentified a dust devil, you know, a sort of dust tornado. It's ridiculous. Journalist and prominent UFO skeptic Philip J. Class first suggested that Zamora's sighting was due to a misidentified ball lightning. When this debunking was itself debunked, notably by atmospheric physicist and UFO advocate Dr. James E. MacDonald, Class switched gears and suggested the Zamora sighting was part of a scheme Zamora had invented with Socorro's then-mayor, Holm Bursum Jr., to attract tourism claiming Bursum owned the land where Zamora's encounter occurred. Bursum, however, didn't own the property, as Class claimed. Class nevertheless claimed that Bursum hoped Zamora's fabricated UFO story would lure tourists to Socorro, and Bursum could then develop the UFO landing site into a tourist attraction. Both Bursum and Zamora consistently denied these accusations, as ridiculous, and the landing site was never developed, even after Zamora's sighting gained national publicity. UFO skeptic Stuart Campbell dismissed Class's hoax allegations. He has suggested that the Zamora sighting was almost certainly a mirage of the Star of Canopus, which is visible at that latitude and that the sounds Zamora heard were actually static pops from his police radio. The Air Force issued their formal report on June 8, 1964. Jerome Clark suggested that the report was riddled with errors, including the claim that there were no other witnesses, which we determined to be false, 
and the claim that there were no disturbances to the soil false again based on the photos of the scene taken less than an hour after the encounter by the FBI. Noting that they made no conclusion as to the object's origin other than to rule out the extraterrestrial hypothesis, the Air Force was continuing its investigation and the case they wrote is still open. Zamora became so tired of the subject that he eventually avoided both ufologists and the Air Force altogether, and he took a job managing a gasoline station. He died on November 2, 2009, in Socorro from a heart attack, and he was 76 years old. Recently, documents acquired through the Freedom of Information Act reveal a secret report prepared for the CIA. Project Blue Book's director, Major Hector Quintanilla, offered further details regarding the Zamora case. Quote, There is no doubt that Lonnie Zamora saw an object which left quite an impression on him. There is also no question about Zamora's reliability. He is a serious police officer, a pillar of his church, and a man well-versed in recognizing airborne vehicles in his area. He is puzzled by what he saw, and frankly, so are we. This is the best documented case on record, and still we have been unable, in spite of thorough investigation, to find the vehicle or other stimulus that scared Zamora to the point of panic. End quote. Also noted in these formerly top-secret files is the fact that the 35mm film taken at the site was determined to be radiated and partially destroyed. In addition, a rock with some sort of metal was taken from the landing site and sent to Goodard for further investigation. The rock, or what the embedded metal material was, has never been released. Now, another interesting footnote. The Lonnie Zamora UFO incident is highlighted in the CIA's instructions on how to investigate a flying saucer. In the end, the CIA concludes, The Zamora case is open and currently unidentified. An unidentified flying object, to be more precise. Now to conclude... Here is an original recording of Lonnie Zamora being interviewed by a local radio station. Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast directory. It sounds so simple, but it really helps. And while you are there, please subscribe as well. We offer new episodes every Sunday so that your work week starts off with a little mystery. My name is Ryan Sprague. When I was 12 years old, I saw something in the sky that I couldn't explain. And I've been searching for answers ever since. And now, I want you to join me on that search. From the Antica Podcast Network, this is the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. Every week, I bring you the latest news about UFOs, the paranormal, esoterica, and just plain weird. With audio docs, special guest interviews, debates, and on-site investigations, you'll never look at these topics the same. 
We'll agree, we'll argue, we'll laugh, we'll cry, but most importantly, we'll try to find answers. Available now on all major podcast outlets or at somewhereintheskies.com. Remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching Somewhere in the Skies. Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcast directory, and subscribe, rate, and review. We would really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, join us on Facebook to enhance this episode with photos, illustrations, and lively discussion. Look for our suggested links, and do share this podcast with others. Perhaps you, or someone you know, will have a solution to this mystery. This podcast is created by Cold Rasta Studios and includes music and sound effects by John Savoy, Albert Ray, Gerardo Garcia Jr., Rana Szilard, Maddia Cupelli, Alex Lisi, Martin Kahlberg, and Adrian von Ziegler. <laughs>